We are Taking the Helm with risk takers who are motivating us to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. Good day, everyone. I'm thrilled to have Deb Brandon with us today. She is a university professor, a mother, an award-winning author. She's participated nationally and internationally in dragon boating. She's a respected textile artist, and she has survived three brain surgeries. Welcome, Deb. We have so much to talk about today. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure talking to you. So a little segue. Deborah and I met on Facebook. We can meet so many people and collaborate virtually these days. And we both joined a group of writers where we were coming together um, in a group called Dream Big Book Marketing. <laughs> and our new friend and mentor, Melissa, suggested that a group of us come together and do a multi-book giveaway. And it was around brain injury. And that's how I met Deb. So um, her book, my brain had other ideas. Um, of course, that I read it. I read it right at that time, and we've been in connection ever since. <laughs> so, Deborah, let's go back in time um, to the very first time that you found yourself in the hospital. What what happened? What did that look like? It was so I was diagnosed a year before that um, because I'd had some minor symptoms that were fleeting, and then. Uh, I saw a neurosurgeon, he said to me, oh, chances are this isn't going to happen again. Uh, well, okay, so I have scattered malformed blood vessels in my brain, and two of them had bled. So once it was diagnosed, they wanted to figure out what's going on. I ended up seeing a neurosurgeon, and he told me that it was not going to happen again. Chances are it wasn't going to happen again. Uh, unfortunately, a year later, I proved him wrong. Um, I refer to my brain as the bloody brain. Um, well, the part of it that bled and messed my life up, or at least that's what I thought at the time. Um, the first thing I noticed was I was driving to work and I was driving downhill and my hearing went muffled. And I thought, oh, it's one of those things where there's a difference in pressure. I didn't think much of it. I was listening to the radio um, and um, so I th or I thought the other possibility is that it's there's something wrong with the radio. I started by swallowing, trying, you know, yawning, trying to clear my ears. That didn't work. So then I started playing with the radio, and um, I was increasing the volume, and nothing was happening. And then at some point, you know, I'm on my way. At some point, the radio just blasted and I thought oh okay there's something wrong with the radio I should let my then husband know and uh, I still I continued to work um, but I, I I was sitting at work and, and I just wasn't feeling right and I thought okay maybe I'll go home early so I did and then I again the hearing thing happened I went to open the door and I the click when you open the door just it was muffled and and I'm feeling more and more woozy and disoriented I'm amazed as I drove it was, it's a 25 minute drive I mean I, I don't know how I did it and then I got home and I'm feeling wo woozier and woozier and then 
I'm thinking I'm at this point, I feel this, these disconnects and I'm trying to think through things and I can't, I'm trying to understand what's going on. And I thought, Oh, I've been in touch with this friend of mine uh, from Colorado. So I phoned her, she'll be able to explain it to me. Um, so again, I was feeling worse and worse and I'm not making sense on the phone. And I sat down, I was feeling um, weak and I sat down on the coffee table and I'm talking to her and my voice becomes softer and softer and I'm sliding to the edge of the coffee table and then I collapse onto the floor and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm puzzled. But at that point, I, I'm actually it was funny because I'm lying on the floor it's a there was a carpet there and it smelt like you know very dusty and i'm i'm really examining this carpet well again i i think there was a time lapse there i'm not sure what really happened i'm examining this carpet and i can see individual yeah it had lumps and bumps and and uh, individual hairs coming out of the bumps and i'm looking at this thing and it's just and i'm going Oh, this is so relaxing. This feels I mean, just, oh my goodness. This is so nice. And I'm lying there and I'm going, it's so comfortable. And then at one point I go, wait, it's not that comfortable. In mm. fact, it's very uncomfortable. And I had the phone in my hand when this happened. And I noticed the phone on the floor and I'm going, oh, that shouldn't be there. And I get up and put it. You know, I put it back on the wall and I'm thinking, huh, I wonder what that was about. In the meantime, my friend had realized that something was very wrong. My now ex-husband and I worked, both worked at Carnegie Mellon in the math department. She found him um, because something was clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't, know exactly what happened um I, I mean she looked online to find the the phone number but he comes home and said what i guess what what's wrong what happened and i said oh i collapsed what do you mean you collapsed i guess i fell and he goes well do you think you need to go to the hospital I said oh no i'm fine now and that night I had the most horrific headache I had ever felt. And you, I'm, yeah, I'm sure I know that you've been through that kind of headache. Yeah. And that's when it clicked. That's when I went, oh, and that's when my ex-husband took me to the hospital. So that was the first time. Uh, and I, I, I realized what it was that I'd had another bleed or something. So, I go in and they and I all you, I had to say was I think I've had a brain bleed, and then you go ahead of everyone else in the ER for um, good reason. Yeah, for oh yeah, reason. <laughs> and of course I was admitted and all that kind mm. of stuff. So yeah, that was the first time. Oh my goodness! So your diagnosis is cavernous angiomas. Yeah, right? and you've just shared with me as we were discussing prior to this podcast that your sister is also experiencing the same type of brain injury. Yes, um, she she has multiple 
cavernous angiomas like I do. And in her case, the one, she had a uh, bleed from one of them and uh, it's been, it was seeping continuously. So she, like me, the only known treatment for these things is to move the, remove them surgically to mm. prevent future bleeds. So like me, she ended up going through a, a, a surgery. Um, the funny thing is I felt responsible because I'm older than her by 12 years. I felt responsible, um, but she's doing remarkably well, except she is having a lot of trouble with seizures and they think it's because of the scar tissue. Uh, so kind of jumps into the, to what I wanted to discuss about. So when I read Deb's book, I mean, these are all my tabs of all of the connections. I'm a brain, um, a brain tumor survivor for those of you who haven't listened in the past. Um, and I want to read, it's connected to what we're just talking about with your sister. I'd like to read just one part, um, Deb, that really struck home. I mean, there were so many things that obviously struck home for me, but this is what you write in the book. I have always tried to address my children's fears candidly without dismissing their anxieties and without adding to their concerns. And then you say to your husband, we need to tell the kids that I may die. Oh my goodness, that moment in time. And I lived it myself telling my three children, I don't want to take you back there, but it is that, that reality of you're about to go into surgery. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. And you were very positive and very driven, but that reality is still there hanging in the background of, of something you have no control over. I didn't want them to think it was going to be a magical um, cure. I wanted to be realistic with them. Um, but it was tough and I postponed talking to them about it. And finally it was two weeks before the surgery when I realized that, okay, the time has come. And um, my ex, I said, I told him I was going to tell the kids. In fact, I, I told him we should talk about, we should tell them. And he never responded. He, um, when it came time to, when I was telling him, he left the room. I guess he couldn't deal with it. It was too much for him. Uh, it was, people, yeah, that's it very was, true. People deal with trauma in different ways. Do yeah. not? I mean, it's traumatic <laughs> for the. And I tried, yeah. yeah. And I was going, "What do I say? How do I say it?" And finally, I said, "I'm just going to jump in." Mm. And uh, it was tough. It was mm -hmm. tough. So I link it back to your sister because there's clearly a genetic factor. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you were, you write in the book about your concern for your children's future as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So at the, t for the longest time I was so, my life was all about the bloody brain, which is how I refer to it. And I couldn't see beyond it. You know, you're, you're in a, well, life is turned upside down and you have very little energy and I didn't have much energy left to be a mother. Um, so when I was first diagnosed, I learned that there was a 50, 50 chance that they'd have them as well, but it didn't really click with me. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, but it's not quite there in the forefront. So, and when I was going through the acute recovery from, well, brain bleeds and subsequent brain surgeries, I just, 
I knew I should, but couldn't. I just, it was one of these fleeting things that would, would revisit me several times. And then, you know, ADD stuff and short term memory, it was gone. You know, I'd think about it and then it was gone. Um, so, and it was only until I started realizing there's a real, uh, a world around me when I said, uh Oh, we've got to do this. And, uh, it turned, it was interesting because my, they both came out negative that they don't have these, uh, that doesn't mean they won't develop and develop them. But it was interesting. My son's reaction was, I'm not going to die. And my daughter's reaction was, can I still develop, develop them? He's older than her by two years. So I found that really interesting and heartbreaking at the same time. I'd like them to have the DNA tests because then we'll know for sure if they, if it's possible, they might develop them. Um, but when I came to that point in my recovery that I could deal with that, um, by then they were teenagers and then left home. So I can't tell them you've got to have this done. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. They're adults now. It's their own decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've all lived that. So let's talk about your recovery, Deb. I mean, three brain surgeries over, you know, a period of time, but you're certainly after one or even the first episode, we're not the same people that we used to be. We have to figure out the new us. You had to figure out the new you. Yes. What did that process look like? And it's not just figuring out the new you, it's figuring ways around things that now become barriers that you have to say, whoa, whoa, hold on. This is new. How do I get around this one? Right. And the thing is you, it keeps surprising you. You think, oh, okay, I have this, this, and this. And then there's suddenly a new symptom develops and you go, oh, okay. Going to learn to deal with that. One, I mean, there were several things that were tough. I mean, the short-term memory, I guess I expected to some degree. Uh, I know a lot of people find it, find it frustrating. I don't know why, but from the beginning, I found it, well, from the beginning, as in after the surgery, I found it hilarious. Even when I missed appointments, I just, I mean, I, I don't know if I wrote about this scene, but um, a couple of days after I got home from hospital, I was, I went to the neighbor's house. No, it wasn't. It was the day after I went to the neighbor's house and the three women were sitting at the dining room table talking and chatting. And one of them goes, oh, I saw this great movie. Um, oh, what was the title? Oh, um, yeah, it's brand new. Um, and the other woman goes, oh, I know which one you're talking about. It's the one with, uh, um, um, now I have no idea what movie they're trying to talk about, but I want to join in on the conversation. And I watched a video with the kids the evening before, and it was a brand new uh, DVD. And I said, I said, uh, um, I, t um, I watched this amazing DVD yesterday. It was fantastic. It was the one with the, uh, with the actor, you know, the one with the hair. <laughs> and at that point, we burst out laughing. And, okay, so the first one had chemo brain. The other one was going through menopause. And then there, there I was <laughs> right after surgeries. I've always found it funny. 
Oh, um, I have to jump in here because uh, yeah, my friend, okay. my friends call uh, what I, I mix up words all the time. I have to read notes, all those kinds of things. They call it Lin Lingo. And ironically, my fam my family and my friends get it. <laughs> I, I say things just exactly as you just referred to. It make no sense at all. But you have to laugh, don't we, Deb? Just oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not even have to at this point. It's just part of the package. I mean, I, uh, things happen and I just, I laugh. Mm -hmm. I know some people get frustrated. Uh, I guess it's just me. I... I observe myself and laugh you know i think well, I maybe part that. of it is the writing that you watch what's going on from the outside and i see myself i just things are hilarious you know i'd be standing there and i'm i now my balance is much better i mean a lot better i still can't walk heel to toe but i'd be standing there and I'd go there you go swaying in the non-existent breeze you know <laughs> I'd say, this ship is going down. So, Deborah, you were able to return to work as a PhD and a professor in the mathematical sciences department at Carnegie Mellon. And that transition must have been extremely daunting for you. What does that look like after, you know, brain surgeries, figuring out the new you, ways around things, and now you're going back to teach mathematics? So... Part of what happened to me is my sequential thinking was damaged, which is a bit of a problem in math. Also, um, arithmetic was a problem. I mean, I tried to help my daughter with her algebra homework and I couldn't do it. So that's when I realized that there's a good chance that I won't be able to go back to work. Um, I had to, I, couldn't remember the multiplication tables. I had to relearn that. I still have some trouble with it. Um, four times eight. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so I had to relearn that stuff. Then I worked my way through a college algebra book, work, you know, doing the problems. Whenever I got stuck, stuck I'd go and reread things to remind myself of things, give me that little kick that I needed. And then I started, then I worked on the calc on calculus book that I, that we use in the math department. Um, I finally reached a point where I felt I was ready to go into the classroom. So I had a year off after the surgeries, the first year back to teaching, it was awful. Um, I, it was, I was exhausted. And when you're exhausted, as you know, the, all the, all the, um, residual deficits are exacerbated and uh, it was it was really horrible uh, and I I know I didn't do a good job well at least from my point of view I was told that no one complained but I could tell that because I'd lose track of things I'd um, I'd, I'd start talking about something and then it was gone I had copious notes to work from but that didn't always help. Um, also, the students tend to chat and that would distract me. Um, I have trouble processing high volumes of sensory input, so that didn't help either, but I was afraid to tell them. I mean, you're in a situation where you there's the imposter syndrome. Am I Am I good enough to do this? And there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with it. 
So that was a tough one. Uh, the second year, I was figuring out, you know, the second year, I, the, the, uh, going back to teaching, I was trying to figure out how to do this because I knew that it, I had to do better. And a friend, the same friend from Colorado suggested that I tell them. And I was really hesitant. I really worried about being stigmatized, all this kind of thing. Um, but I did. And I, you know, I told them the story. Um, but before I did, I asked them, how many of you have had brain injuries, including concussions? And it was 15 to 20% of them. Oh I mean, we're talking on the order of 100 students here. Mm. Um, and then I told them my story and they were so interested. Some of them I, were in neuroscience and they were fascinated. And instead of this, you know, I, I expected them to just do the, uh, okay, <clears throat> yeah, um, this is going to be great. But no, they were really fascinated. It was, it was wonderful. I told them my main reason at the time of talking about it was to tell, was the, to then ask them to please keep quiet during class that I wouldn't be dealing with the sensory overload. That worked to some degree. And then I came up with another thing. Okay, you can chat provided you don't uh, use S's. <laughs> and it, that worked. <laughs> and I mean, I've done that throughout and it's, it's like a magical formula. And if somebody, somebody does, uh, you, uh, does chat, I'll say too many S's coming from there. And then they look all sheepish and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, uh, second, so the second year I felt like I, I was a better teacher, better than I ever was because through my own struggles, I became more empathetic towards the uh, students with the weaker backgrounds. And also because I'd had to learn to work around, for instance, the damaged sequential thinking, I became more, um, more accepting of the idea that there are different kinds of thinking. Mm. Uh, before All that, I thought, ways, yeah, yeah. Uh, before that, I kind of knew, but you know, if you don't know how to think this way, um, well, you just don't have it. Mm. And the one thing I've learned since then, because of my own issues, was that everyone has a different, I mean, math is basically three things, terminology, notation, and pattern recognition. Terminology, terminology and notation is basically about remembering things. So most people have that memory, it's not a problem pattern recognition, I thought the only way to recognize a pattern was my way. This is before the brain injury, which was about thinking linearly or sequentially. But now I learned and I was more open to learning that there are other ways to recognize patterns. And I realized that my job as a teacher was to hone their analytical way of thinking and I explained this to them, and this was from my own experience. If you have, if you, if you're um, well versed in different ways of thinking, you have a better feel for the bigger picture, not just in math, but in life. Mm -hmm. And um, when I conveyed that to the students, and also this idea that math is basically three things, it was this huge aha moment. I mean, you could see this in their eyes. It was, this, oh, and you know, I talked about that. And I tell them things like, okay, my job is to teach you, your job is to ask questions, and then that way I become a better teacher and you understand it better. So there was a lot more interaction. Um, 
also through the whole uh, experience, as you know, you, you take a crash course in, in having to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I used to be this feisty, independent person, and now I had to expose my weaknesses, which was really tough for me. But I learned very quickly that when you expose your weaknesses, they become strengths because people connect with you better. You connect with people better. You open up to the world, they'll, you know, they'll open up to you kind of thing. So I connected better with the students. There was a much better learning environment. And uh, it was, uh, I became so much more passionate about teaching because I felt I was making a difference, not just in terms of the math, but in the way of thinking. um, And because I connected with them, one thing I did was I, when I told them about my issues, and I talked about my issues with depression, um, having been suicidal, that thing, because I realized that they, and this happened over time, because I realized that they, um, a lot of them come, come to the university, they don't have their support system, and they have mental health issues. Once I got over being worried about the stigma, I felt like that this is something that we need to talk about so they'll learn to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And when I talked about it, people, students came to me and said, because you talked about it, I feel like I can speak to you about it. I can't talk to my parents, but you know, this kind of thing. So fascinating, right? When you accept the new you, I keep saying the new you, but what it, yeah. what it is, put that new you out there so people understand. It just raises a level of awareness. And I'm, you know, I just, I retired a couple of years ago, 31 year educator, special education was my purview, mm-hmm. oh, my nice. level of expertise. And um, we're always learning something new. And it, <laughs> you were forced to learn to do that because of brain surgeries and because of your condition. And, uh, but look how far it's taking you. It's celebratory. Oh. Many good things have come of this. Oh yeah, absolutely. One of the things, Unfortunately, throughout, I was just exhausted. I was really, really exhausted throughout. I mean, brain injury survivors, as you know, have major issues with fatigue. And not only do we um, get tired more easily because your brain is working more to compensate, but also um, many of us have sleeping problems. So it's a double whammy. And I really struggled through the years Uh, It was really, really tough. And it would take me, at the end of the academic year, it would take me a good month month or two or sometimes three to get over the academic year. Well, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate now because (laughs) this is your last academic year you have just announced and you're celebrating your retirement. So welcome to this wonderful new world. Oh, it is. It's so freeing. It really (laughs) is. I just love it. Yeah. And I... I have time to write as much as I want. I have time to think. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have time to breathe. I couldn't, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't really process. And now I can say, oh wait, this is really exhausting me. I should do this. I should cut back on that. I used to have a lot of trouble pacing myself. Now it's a lot easier. I mean, I'm, I tend to overdo things, but. Let's talk about your passion of being a textile artist. And, and I believe you were sharing with me that you love that prior, prior to becoming ill, but there is a connection between the brain injury and what you're doing in textiles, correct? Right. There are a couple of things that happened. One was, um, I belong to this, uh, networking organization. It's called Weave a Real Peace. And, um, 
basically the mission there is to um, help textile artisans in communities in, in need um, improve their quality of life through their textile traditions. And we're talking across the globe here. So I was, I was very interested in that at the time, you know, before the brain surgeries. And I used to write um, a regular column in their newsletter called, it was Textile Techniques from Around the World, which I loved the, I loved the um, uh, research. And also I'm a maker myself, and it helped me, it enriched my own making, you know, new patterns, new, new uh, techniques, this kind of thing. Um, after the brain surgeries, when I, st I started writing the book because I was looking for something myself that would help me through this strange world that I had no idea what to do with. Uh, and I didn't find something, what I needed. I mean, I looked in medical books. I, I, I surfed the internet. I, there was some stuff by caregivers, but I needed something from the inside. And the stuff from the inside written by uh, brain injury survivors seemed to focus more on the trauma and the acute recovery. So I decided, well, you know, I'll, I'll write something and hopefully it'll help me as I bumble along and maybe it'll even help other brain injury survivors through mm -hmm. my story. But as time, so I started writing then, I didn't used to write before except in high school. So I started writing and I realized that I, I wanted to reach a broader audience because everyone has touched on a, uh, uh, the life of a brain injury survivor, knowing, uh, knowingly or unknowingly. There's so many of us, it, we're out there. As I said, 15 to Invisible 20 Invisible disabilities in many ways. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to learn to improve my writing skills. I couldn't do workshops because of the brain, um, because of the brain issues. And I found a writing coach and she helped, she taught me to go, she transformed me from a, a journal type writer to the author of this award-winning book. Mm -hmm. Now, as I'm writing, I'm discovering the storyteller in me. So now my articles, the textile articles, I noticed I was shifting from focusing on the techniques to storytelling. So I was so there's the story of the artisans, there's the story of their communities, there's the story of the traditions. Um, you know, there's a lot of it that goes on there. So my whole focus changed. Um, at some point before the brain bleeds, the, the Weaver Real Peace board suggested that I put together the articles I'd written into a booklet and we'd sell it to uh, members of the members of the organization as a fundraiser. Um, as I'm writing, and the, news, the newsletter editor goes, no, this needs to be something bigger than that. And as I became more of a storyteller, it, the book, would, I, I rewrote and reworked the articles. The, both, the book had a completely different focus to it. Um, it's basically a collection of stories. I mean, yes, it has stuff about the techniques, but it's in story form.
Uh, and that too is an award winner. Uh, which threads, is threads around the world is the title of the book. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about awards, Deb, because you've won many. <laughs> you've won many, many. Can, I'm going to ask you right now to just focus on one. Share with us one of the awards that you. Okay. Well, there's the one, this one here, that's uh, an indie indie book award. The reason why I picked that one is is I think it's the only where the only one where I tend I attended the um, where I attended the the uh, the ceremony the award ceremony in person. Um, it was fun. Unfortunately, I only got the silver. You know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, I was going to attend another, but then COVID-19 happened. Yeah. I did attend, I did attend one that was for the audiobook. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun because that was, that was at, uh, the Warner Brothers studio. Oh. And that was a blast. I mean, it was, it, it was it's bizarre. Those people there are really bizarre. <laughs> I mean, love it. I love it. It's a different Los Angeles, Hollywood. It's it's a completely different world, oh. and it was nice to be an observer because the, I definitely wasn't part of it. For instance, I'm thinking, what on earth do I wear for this thing? I'm not, you know. I usually wear t-shirts and jeans. I don't, do I have any dresses? Well, now I do. Um, I just had no idea. And I ended up wearing an Indian outfit. Uh, yes, I saw that me. posted. You posted that on Instagram. Yes, you did. Yeah. So, I, so that's what I ended and and I was comfortable in that. And I knew because that's the way I used to dress up and still do in Indian clothes because they're comfortable and beautiful. Deb, could you give some guiding words for anyone out there who's fighting to overcome the effects of a brain injury? I think first and foremost is to realize that you're not alone. There are many of us out there. And yes, every brain injury is unique. Everyone's reaction or or the, the symptoms, they're completely unique. I mean, if you think about it, if you have identical twins, even if they get a brain injury in exactly the same place, their um, experience in the world are completely, their experiences are completely different. I mean, even if someone says um, thank you to them and not to the other, something has changed there. So how the brain responds to an injury is different from person to person, but there are a lot of commonalities. Uh, For instance, a short-term memory one is I, you know, I think we all have it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways. There are ways to deal with short-term memory as well. Oh, yeah. not, you don't have to look at it as a barrier. It's just okay. Right. It's um, right. okay. I have an injury on my right wrist. I have to figure out to write with my left hand. We find yeah. And yeah. Exactly. There are a lot of tools these days with technology that are just fantastic for those with uh, for those of us with short-term memory issues. Yeah, and there are also little things like uh, I have trouble with multi-step things. So, for instance, following directions. So I use my GPS. Mm-hmm. Without my GPS, I'd be in trouble, real trouble. Um, and that was my neuropsychologist came up with that idea. Um, so the first thing is you're not alone, no matter what. And 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 the, and the the 
loneliest times. I mean, I felt alone a lot of times. I felt no one really understands me. And it was a real eye-opener to meet my first other brain injury survivor. It was, they really get it. Uh, because it's in many, it's an invisible uh, disability. And when you see the, you know, I look fine, therefore I am fine, but I'm not. There's a lot of weird stuff going on between my ears. Um, so, yeah, you know, let me jump in there because I'm, I'm wearing this ribbon. Uh, we just turned May gray, turning gray in May. Uh, the end of May, I think May 27th is International Across the World Brain Cancer Awareness mm -hmm. Month. Um, Deb, you're talking about a network and they, there's, there's networks, there's brain injury networks, there's brain tumor networks, there's local, there's online, mm -hmm. there's support groups. There's, you, I, I love what you started with. You are never alone. There's so many ways to reach out and discover yeah. there are many more people out there with brain injuries than you could possibly. Right. See, originally when I, when this first happened, I was very much in denial and I felt like I didn't want to, to talk I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I didn't want to read about it because if I knew, if I read more about it, if I learned more about it, it would be real. Mm. And I couldn't deal with that. So I was very much alone in many, many ways. And then I wasn't. And I realized that I'm not alone. So that's the first thing that I would say. The other thing is, um, it's tough. It's a long road and it's ongoing. You don't return to the same person you are, um, no matter what anyone will tell you. I mean, doctors will tell you, oh, in two years you'll be fully recovered. No, there is no full, uh, full recovery, but that's okay. It may seem at the time, it may seem like the worst possible thing you could hear, but you learn to live with it, not just in the sense of you learn to compensate uh, for the deficits and uh, uh, cope with the uh, things that you can't fix. Um, you learn to live with it in a sense that you learn to own it, that it becomes part of you. And it's something that um, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I like myself better now. I think I'm a much nicer person. Uh, my, my life is much fuller. It's much richer. Um, getting to know, you know, because I became, I used to be this shy introvert, think, uh, socially inept mathematician. And now when I tell people that's how I was, they don't believe me mm. because I'm very much an extrovert. I go, I seek, um, connections with people. I love, I love getting to know people. Um, and because I feel like things have to be talked about. I mean, like issues with um, suicide ideation, I talk about it. And, uh, and I'm curious about other people. I mean, I met this person who, she had some mental health issues and she told me, I think she was trying to shock me. She said, I've been suicidal. And my reaction was, cool in what way did it present itself <laughs> and she was shocked she just went quiet and i told her and and uh, i told her yeah i have a plan but uh you know i'm on meds now for depression and anxiety um hopefully i won't go 
back to that place. I mean, I have up the meds, this kind of thing. But if we don't talk about it, how can we help people? I mean, if, if it's this taboo topic, I mean, there's a lot of shame involved. There really is not the, the family think they've done something wrong or there's anger against the person who's committed suicide or whatnot. Uh, the person who tried to commit suicide or has suicidal thoughts, there's a lot of shame and guilt there. Um, we need to address that because, I mean, at one point I was so ashamed that I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. So I just stewed in my own, in the own, in, in, in this darkness. I never want to go back there. No. But well, you've uh, you've opened up a few communities of conversation around uh, brain injury, su the suicide piece, the mental health piece, and textiles. I mean, so those communities now are much much larger because of your advocacy, Deb. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, Deb. I'd like to close with um, a testimonial, and it's about uh, your book. But my brain had other ideas. Told in poetic and exacting language, Brandon's intimate account of life with a damaged brain is equal parts hypnotizing, harrowing, and inspiring. And I know you said when you wrote um, this book, your first one, you weren't in the realm of storytelling, but um, having loved every inch of it, I really think you told the story quite brilliantly where we can connect. Even if you are not a brain injury survivor, you're going to connect with, with Deb's writing. It's truly, it's truly inspiring. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Would you like to say anything else in closing, Deb? Rest. If you're a brain injury <laughs> survivor, rest, rest, rest. Give yourselves a break. It's huge. Don't fight it. Try and swim with it. Don't fight the current. Swim with it. It's easier said than done, but hopefully eventually you'll get there. So Deb, anyone who wants to reach out to you for more information, how do they contact you? Uh, the easiest way I think is through my website, which is debbrandon.com. So it's D-E-B-B-R-A-N-D-O-N.com. Excellent. So we're all starting to swim and we thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been fun. All right. And everyone have a healthy and safe day. Thanks for listening. For more episodes learning from people who are steering us in the right direction, visit lynnmclaughlin.com or subscribe to this podcast feed.